Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to episode 92 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I am your host, Jack Rico, and this week... I'm dedicating this episode to the movies. I review The Predator with uh, film and culture critic Mike Sargent, and we examine the controversy behind the film. It's of a sexual nature and everything that happened because of it. Then I talked to film journalist Clayton Davis, who was at the Toronto International Film Festival, perhaps the number one film festival in the Americas, and he'll tell us what films have already positioned themselves as the frontrunners for Best Picture at the Oscars. Do you know what my job description is? I'm in acquisitions. I look up and I catch what falls out of the sky. What's on the ship? As you know, 80s reboots are back with a vengeance, and this week's release of The Predator is a great example of that. It's had a bit of a topsy-turvy outing so far regarding a controversy of a sexual nature that has gotten a lot of ink in the trades, has to do with Olivia Munn. Uh, But Mike Sargent, film and culture critic who you can see on Fox Business News and PBS, as well as listen to on WBAI Radio in New York, uh, is here to chat with me about it. Mike, glad to have you back on the show. Jack Rico. So let's talk a little bit about The Predator. You and I saw it in the same screening this week and um, a lot of controversy before we actually get into the review of the film. A lot of controversy has already come with this film and it happened, I believe, at the Toronto International Film Festival where the cast and crew were promoting the film, but something happened. Well, what had happened was that there was an actor who was cast in the film who happened to be a good friend of Shane Shane Black. Black. Right. The director. Uh, Of the director, the the writer-director, who was actually in the first film as an actor, uh, who it turned out was registered as a sex offender. And really, I think it was Olivia Munn was mm-hmm. the one who who was against it, and she's the one. She in worked the, in the scene with this. She worked in the predator. Scene with him, <laughs> no with pun intended. Guy. No pun intended. And so they cut it all out of the film. Uh, so that's that's kind of slightly overshadowed the film in terms of people talking about it. And it's not the kind of press you want, especially not now. Uh, I remember what it did to the the Latin director who had done the movie uh, Powder. Wait a minute. So what happened with the guy from Powder? Who was the director? 
Well, the director, his name was Victor Salva, and he had kind of come to claim he did a movie called Powder. Before that, he had done a film called Jeepers Creepers. Yeah, but I remember really, those movies. Yeah, they were both I liked, good movies. I like Powder. Powder was a great, but but it turned out he had been convicted of uh, sexual misconduct with uh, underage actors. Oh, man. And it completely derailed his career. I but mean, who the it, hell did a background check that didn't catch that? Like, what the hell? Well, he, he was out. He had completed parole by the time he started his film career. And, uh, you know, the details of it are pretty sordid. What yep. he did, it was pretty sordid. Uh, I won't mention it here, but uh, but yes, these kind of things, uh, you know, can completely derail a career, can derail a film. And in the age of, of social media, when the word gets out on something like this, there are people, people have a lot of knee-jerk reactions where, you know, without knowing any details, that's it. They will not support something that, you know, they hired somebody. I mean, look at the amount of money Kevin Spacey's last film made. It came out yeah. like six hundred and ninety-seven dollars. <laughs> That's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. That that yeah. that like he's he's nuclear. You but, can't touch him. But this is a little this is a little particular though. And and let's yeah. be honest about this. This isn't the powder issue with Victor Salva where he was no. the director. No. Uh Kevin Spacey was the star of that uh movie vehicle that made six hundred and ninety-seven dollars. This is a little different because the scene was cut with the offender with Olivia Munn. It was the only moment, um, as I read, the scene was about Olivia Munn was running somewhere in New York uh, and this guy was jogging, saw her and was trying to either force himself upon her or it was something along those lines. So it, it, it made it even more creepier because of the situation, how those two things collided. Soon as she found out, her big complaint was, all right, listen, I don't mind about people getting second chances, but Fox and Shane Black didn't even have the gall to inform us that that is the type of person we're working with. Well, Fox came out and said they weren't aware of his background, but Shane Black, and I'll quote, his quote was, I personally chose to help a friend. I can understand others who might disapprove as his conviction was on a sensitive charge and not to be taken lightly. Now, that was his quote. The quote I read from him, and I'll paraphrase, it was something along the lines that this gentleman who had tried to seduce a 14-year-old girl online, because I think that was the accusation. Right, yes, that's what it was. The offense. Yes, that's what it was. um, Was told by a friend that that wouldn't be a problem that you can hire him and that he took it in faith and trust that the guy he was recommending, which he knew, but was asking a friend to kind of legitimize him in some way, uh, said everything is okay. And he decided to take blind faith uh, chance on the guy. Do you think that this movie will fail based on this story? I think two things. One, I don't think it'll fail based on this story, but I do think they're worried because I don't know if, you know, he issued an apology after that statement that I read where he first he defended it and then he was like, oh, I believe in second chances. But I, I do think that this is the kind of movie that needs a lot of strong buzz. Uh, especially with its target audience. I mean, let's face it, technically, this is the sixth Predator film. Yeah, because Adrian Brody, didn't he do 
the previous the, one, he, the previous reboot. The, yes, he did that. That was called Predators, and that was the one uh, by Robert Rodriguez originally wrote the script for, and then ended that's up right. That's yeah. right. So you know, but I have to say, I you know, I like this movie a lot too. And since we're on your show, I just want to point out that the Predator series, since the first film, has always had strong black and Latino characters as part of the cast. That is true. The fir- first film had Kevin Peter Hall, Carl Weathers, uh, Elpidia, Caurillo, uh, Bill Duke, and Richard Chavez. Mm-hmm. So there's always that balance. The second one had Danny Glover, Ruben Blades, and Maria Conchita <laughs> Alonso. Right. Okay. <laughs> and then Kevin Peter Hall. Then we had Robert Rodriguez puts... Alice Braga and Lawrence Fishburne, Aliens vs. Predator with Sanaa Lathan. I remember that. That's right. And then the last one, Aliens vs. Predator Requiem, had John Ortiz and Stephen Pasquale. Yeah, so, so essentially, this you know, the, 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 the DNA of the Predator is for exactly. an urban audience. Yeah, I was just going to say, that was my point. It's for an urban audience. And the question is, will they care about that? That's yeah. really the question. Can, can I be That's honest with you? Yes. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Socially speaking, and I'm yep. just being honest here, I don't think they give two hoots, man. If you see it, are you, quote unquote, supporting the film? But I mean, it's a minor role, minor character, minor casting. They, cut the, they cut the scene, Mike. They apologize left and right. One of the scars was that supposedly Olivia Munn um was had to do press alone because the rest of the cast didn't want to be involved and kind of shunned her and so she criticized them then Sterling K Wait. Brown and Broyd Holbrook came out and had to you know defend their positions and actually agree with Olivia Munn that they screwed up dude it was did, did you, you you didn't hear that part I didn't hear the part about uh, how they didn't want to do the press. Oh, yeah. And and Boyd Holbrook, which is the star of the film, uh, the blonde guy, he had to come out in, on Instagram and had like a whole note based, essentially saying, listen, I chose not to do the press day. And I'm sorry I left you alone that I wasn't with you and that we're all like cowards and we didn't want to back you up. But initially, I didn't have all the information I needed to know what's going on, so I made a mistake. But damn it, if you're ever left alone or if you ever feel alone and we want to just listen more, you know? And look, I think that's a knee-jerk reaction from a lot of people that when they're gaining a lot of momentum in their career, they don't want any type of negative stain on their on their skin. They yes. want to be completely free of anything controversial. I mean, you know, but I'll be honest, I don't even get that. I don't even get that how this can happen because, you know, Every one of these actors has their own publicist, okay? The company has publicists. They have unit publicists. They have a studio publicist. They might have hired a 42 West or whatever. So, I mean, when in these kind of situations, what they'll tell you is if you want to go to the junk and you want to do the interview, you can't ask these questions. What happens in moment? This is entertainment. So how much professionalism do you really need in entertainment where everything well, is gossipy and trashy TMZ you know, but how much professionalism are you asking from TMZ Mike first of all don't even talk to me about TMZ <laughs> I think TMZ is part of the problem it's trash I, I, don't, I don't think any everything is fo- you know fodder for the for the grist for the mill you know I mean you know this is a whole other conversation but yeah I I, I do I I will say yes there is 
a, a definitely a higher level of unprofessionalism and and what has become journalism has become a lot of this you know trashy you know but that that like just almost to what we're doing here where we've spoken more about the scandal behind the movie than we've talked about the movie right and because is that because that's what people want to hear about. Well, you know, let's be honest, you know, a straight up review has useful information, but it doesn't create thought provoking questions about how you use that information in your own personal life. This this is a gray area in this film uh, situation and with the casting of this guy. But I honestly think that, you know, very often a lot of journalists and, and I understand why they have to do it, you know, quote unquote journalists. And I and I and you, you know, you go on YouTube, you can see famous walkouts. Robert Downey Jr. Right, where people are, you know, they're there to promote Iron Man. The guy's asking, well, you know, you haven't, you used to screw up your life now and you're not fucked up now. How is that? <laughs> you know, it's like, why are we talking about this? And and I agree, that's not that. Uh, I'm sorry, this gotcha it's, journalism. Right. I, I, I'm not a fan. So listen, before we, uh, before we have to get, I know you have to get out of here. Let's, let's do the review. Yeah, let's, really talk, quick. let's do the review. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All, All right. right. So this to me, here's how I would describe the predator. It's a hybrid between the A team. Remember the A team from, uh, the course, NBC show course, that ended up having Liam uh, Neeson in the movie version. Take those five guys, including Mr. T and put them in the predator. That's what you got. It's a team meets the predator. Cool. Well, there are a number of things that that were nods to the first three films in in the True Predator series, and I agree with you. And it's funny you say the A team because if that's true, then Olivia Munn is sort of the uh, the character that George Papard used to play. Uh, but you know, I did think that it was a team was firmly planted in the eighties, and I feel that this film was firmly planted. It had really had one foot firmly in the 80s and Shane Black is from that time that's when he hit big with Lethal Weapon and and Last Boy Scout and all those films that he was he was making at the time and and you know he's someone who has clearly grown as a writer but he's retained you know what was fun about adult action films R rated action films of the eighties. Cause they don't really do them like that anymore. You know, it's, it's like a big deal when an R rated action film makes money or actually comes out because they're, they're just not really done that much anymore. Uh, but I, I do feel that on one hand, Shane Black was smart. He's got an A story. He's got a B story. You know, he's got a C story, you know, they intersect. Uh, and he knows he, he writes great dialogue. There's lots of fun one-liners and all the characters are well-drawn. You know who all these people are, like you said, like the A-team. And, and they're a band of misfits who have to come right. together. But every single time that you think it starts to transcend the genre, it really jumps and dives right back into its it B regresses into its it b-movie roots it, b-movie roots and it becomes you know sort of silly but right. that being said it's complete and utter fun it's very entertaining it's a lot of fun i personally was not a huge fan of the predator i thought it was what it was it was a well done b-movie but you know nothing great i do like the fact that they've kept you know uh, the original guy was like seven foot two who played the predators is this black actor named Kevin Peter Hall. And, and the guy who hmm. plays him now is another black actor who's, uh, who also was the stunt, uh, stunt man for Black Panther. His name is Brian Prince and he's six foot 10 and he's a parkour athlete. So it was kind of fun because when you see the predator walk, he's got like a swagger. <laughs> 
<laughs> that like, black swagger, bro. That black swagger. They always <laughs> that had big it daddy black swagger, bro. <laughs> So even the dog had dreadlocks in this. A so, Jamaican predator man. Listen, I kill you. I kill you. Right, but so I do think I do think that it retains a lot of those things. Like you said, it's got all the fun elements that that you want in these films. And like Travante Williams is, you know, the cool black guy. You know, and, oh, yeah. and Sterling uh, K. Brown. Oh come on, really he stole the had, show, man. He stole the he show. Stole the he stole the show again with a, with a fairly underwritten character, you know, kind of a kind of a cardboard because villain. It, you know what it is. It's true when they say that you know no small roles That's are correct. right. That's correct. And not that he had a small role; he was the antagonist here from the get go. Uh, Listen, all I gotta say is Alfred Molina. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's master at the exactly, small parts exactly who would have thought that the actor from the beginning of Raider the lost ark would be alfred molina i but, know but the the first act of the film it, what's really works about the first act of the film for me is within three minutes you know i was sitting in front of somebody who uh, another colleague had said hey and he brought this young person who had never seen any of the predator films and you don't have to see i, I want to make that clear you don't have to see any of the other predator films to enjoy this yeah one. this is a square the, origin reboot it, it it is but but it stays within canon it acknowledges the first three films like there's a scene and i don't want to give it away where we see some of the tech from the first three films that's okay? right in the little and museum in, uh, in the area little museum there's a little predator museum in there and it's like ah predator one no predator two predator three you yeah, know those are the winks to the originals overall the predator this new predator that comes out this friday Yes. is not the best of the canon, in my opinion. I still think the Schwarzenegger one is the best one. It holds up very well to me. I just saw it maybe about a year ago, and I was like, I had as much fun as I did in the theaters. Well, I like the Sanaa Latham one, I have to say. I, I, I really, I, that surprised me because I went in expecting crap because Predator 2 was crap. By the way, Keegan-Michael Key supposedly is my doppelganger. Oh, yeah. Well, you're, you're sort of like <laughs> a, a, a better-looking version of Keegan-Michael Key. Oh my god, dude! I walked into the Today Show uh, a few months ago, and I'm uh, walking in, and the and the the stage manager just walks up to me. He's like, "I gotta tell you, you look just like Keegan Michael Key." And I was like, "Really?" He goes like, "Yo, you guys are spitting images of each other, especially with the beards." And I said, "You know that beard is new on him, man. You know, so if anything, he's copping my ass." Listen, and my my prediction is within the next 12 months, you will meet him and take that picture together. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. That oh, by the way, be before I let you go, I wanted to get your sort of thoughts really quick on this incredible story that came out in the trades today about Henry Cavill, Superman, how he is no longer going to be wearing the red cape. He has either quit or got fired from being Superman, I don't know which one it is. Uh, no comments has been made by anybody. And I'm a little shocked and saddened by this. Dude, this is Superman for this new generation. Any thoughts on this? Is this going to affect DC once again? I have three thoughts on this. One, I really did like Cavill. I thought he was a perfect uh, Superman. I mean, he looks like Superman. He's got the square jaw. I think he's been the closest to what I picture Superman being like since, uh, you know, the original Superman, Chris Reeve. So I liked him. 
two, I, 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 in interviews though, I've, 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 everything I've heard about him is that in real life he's a dickhead. Three. No. Oh yeah. Him. Just, just put in, put in Henry Cavill, dickhead, and see what comes up. But <laughs> come, coming. But the third thing is now again, I don't know. That's just what I've read. The third thing is though, I don't think it will affect it much because I think at this point, none of those films have done gangbusters though people accepted him none of those films were great none of those films were redefining superman okay just like i like ben affleck as batman and he's out now uh i i and so no more you know they're not literally wiping the slate clean okay but i think that with this new supergirl movie they're going in a, a younger direction you know supergirl takes place in the 80s so you know uh superman would have been a baby then mike thank you so much for being right, on the show you can catch mike on wbai radio pbs and fox business news thanks mike all right man Men, ever wonder what makes an awesome pair of underwear? Comfort is obviously at the top, but support plays a huge part too. Saks underwear has combined these two components unlike ever before, creating what may be the most comfortable pair of underwear in the world. Simply put, Saks is designed differently. Their patent ballpark pouch has internal mesh panels that keep everything in place. When I put them on, it feels like there's extra space along with their super soft, moisture-wicking fabrics. I've been all about Saks underwear since I discovered them a few months ago. I really like the Vibe Trunks. Best underwear I've worn so far. Silky smooth. Feels like you're not wearing anything. This is why I want you guys to try Saks as well. I work with Saks underwear on a limited time deal just for you. Shop from anywhere on their site and get $5 off plus free shipping on your first purchase. But you need to use my promo code HIGHLYRELEVANT at checkout. Order a few pairs of Saks right now with this great offer and go to Saks Underwear at saxxunderwear.com. That's Saks with two X's and use the promo code HIGHLYRELEVANT at checkout. Remember, saxunderwear.com, promo code HIGHLYRELEVANT. Awards season is upon us, and that means only one thing. Film festivals begin premiering the potential best picture frontrunners for the Oscars. And to me, there's no bigger film festival in the Americas than the Toronto International Film Festival. And to tell us all about what films have made some major noise uh, in Canada is Clayton Davis, editor and owner of AwardCircuit.com, which specializes in the award season. Clayton, Thanks for jumping on, man. Good to be with you, Jack. I am so happy to be talking to you because one of the key things that everyone seems to be talking about in now Hollywood and movies is the Toronto International Film Festival, also known as TIFF. And uh, I know you've been there and man, I would love it if you can give me some recap of what the uh, last couple of days, weeks have been like in Toronto. How different is it than 2017? Is the lineup, the slate of films that are being shown that you've seen better than last year's? Um, and what are the promising films that everyone is going to be talking about uh, for the Oscars? So let's begin with what you have seen that you've liked. You know what? Screw like that you've loved. 
Uh, so, I mean, coming out of Toronto, uh, something for your reader, your listeners, and everyone that follows Jack Rico, you need to know about TIFF. It is the most overbearing film festival you can attend because <laughs> there's over 200 films that play there. So you have to like sift through it all and everything sounds great. So you have to find the, the big things that are, that, that you're hoping that's going to make an impact. Uh, if we're looking at a front runner right now, it's gotta be the four, the third remake of a star is born as directed by Bradley Cooper, first time director coming out of the gate. And it's a home run. Really? It's a home run. It is. And it's not even so much his direction. Obviously, his direction is, is profound. His performance, he may go down, uh, for anyone who doesn't remember, Roberto Benigni in Life is Beautiful back in 1998 no. directed himself to a Best Actor win. And I think Cooper may be about to do this. Okay, now that's, that's incredible. It's the single best thing he's ever done. Okay, that's pretty incredible because... How many first-time directors get to do something like that? I mean, this would catapult him to some like crazy A-list Ben Affleck Argo type of moment, but probably even better. Because if yeah. he wins Best Picture and Best Actor at the Oscars for this film, come on, where does he go in the record books, man? And, and listen, and I'm sure Warner Brothers is trying to tape down this this hyperbole that's going out all over the internet when it comes to A Star Is Born. Because listen, when you become the front runner, you become the one that everyone wants to take down. So I'm right. sure they're worried about that. But as it stands right now, not only is A Star Is Born the front runner, and Bradley Cooper can direct himself to a, a best actor win, and you know, best director, and all that is on the table. This has potential to be the fourth film in Oscar history, which would be 91 years to win the big five best picture director, actor, actress for lady Gaga and adapted screenplay. Explain to me why. Yeah. So let me start with this for a film that's been done three other times. I'd argue that a star is born is still a very little known film. It's known to people like you and I, cause we're obsessed with movies. But to the general moviegoer walking down the street, I'm not sure if they could tell you what A Star is Born is about. They could make an educated guess based on the title. But everything about this film, the sticks are there, right? Uh, a nobody girl is found by a singer and is made into a star. That part remains the same. Everything that surrounds that is completely different. It is a breath of fresh air. All the songs are original. All right, everything that Lady Gaga sings, she wrote herself uh, in partnership with other co-writers, including Diane Warren, oh, who's wow. like been nominated for a gajillion uh, Academy Awards. Uh, Bradley Cooper ran, uh, wrote some of his own songs. Dude can sing. Uh, Lady Gaga, if you're looking at this through a lens, uh, through Oscar history, think of when Cher won Best Actress for Moonstruck back in the 80s and beat out Glenn Close for Fatal Attraction. Holy it was something smokes. that everyone thought was going to happen. Coincidentally enough, right now, Glenn Close is also in contention this year for uh, her performance in The Wife, and she may end up losing again. This would be her seventh nomination, and she would lose to another uh, pop star that went uh, onto the screen. So talk to me about Lady Gaga, because she is unbelievably talented. How good is her performance here? 
And is it worth all the hype it's getting already? So I, I will say this. She is at an advantage already because Homegirl can sing, right? That, like half her performance is singing and, and, and emoting what's going on in those numbers. In particular, one song called The Shallow, if you guys ever watched the trailer, is a song that plays in there when she like literally hits notes of unbelievability. Um, there, in particular, when she sings The Shallow, it is perhaps one of the single best musical moments Holy caught Lord. on film in the last 25 years. It is, it, it, is an, it is such an impeccably delivered performance because everything that's going on in the moment it's not just about the song it's about what the character her name's Allie uh her fear of you know being in front of people and people thinking that she's ugly and going on there and trusting this man who she barely knows to like you know help her achieve her dreams like all these things are wrapped up into this moment and Lady Gaga nails it all right so based on based on voice it's there that half the performance is there when she has to act she does an amazing job she's um i'd argue there's a trick we call in the awards community i'm sure you know it jack when we say girls uh, or women uh de-glam themselves for a role <laughs> right like the shark the Charlie monster yeah uh-huh. she, it, it's a de-glam role like she like is shred of her gaga-ness <laughs> and then is builds up this brand new person that we're getting to know and love on screen. And she does, and she hits all the Oscar bait tropes, right? Like she, she does nudity. You're going to see Lady Gaga naked on screen. You know, there, there's like a sweet, lovable, likable character. Like all these things check off the boxes. Wow. I'm not saying she wins, but she's going to contend. And it's a very worthy performance to go the distance. There's still a lot of more movies to go. Is there anything else that caught your attention? Yep, here comes movie number two, which I'm going to see tonight. Uh, First Man from Damien Chazelle. Neil, if this flight is successful, you'll go down in history. What kind of thoughts do you have about that? We're planning on the flight being successful. It'll go up like a half kiloton A-bomb if it blows. The vehicle's not safe. We need to fail down here so we don't fail up there. This isn't just another trip, Neil. You're not just going to work. Do you think you're coming back? This is the Ryan Gosling NASA movie. Uh, The controversy behind this uh, for many has been the fact that Damien Chazelle, the director of La La Land, um, and uh, what was the music one with uh, Miles Teller? Whiplash. Whiplash. um, Is that he didn't, that Ryan Gosling's character did not, Buzz Aldrin, did not put the flag on the moon, the American flag on the moon. And that was some sort of statement. I think Donald Trump said something about it. So it's been all yeah. this controversy about it, but I think it's the, it's not negative controversy. It's more like American nationalism, you know? Um, yeah. And it's a movie at the end of the day. I don't think it's going to hurt the movie in any way. It might actually give it more attention and publicity yeah. to kind of shoot. Uh, what are the, I mean, it's Ryan Gosling and Damon Chazelle. It can only mean greatness, right? I'm speaking to many people who have seen it. People on my team uh, went to see a Telluride where it, where it premiered. Uh, it also premiered at Venice, uh, the Venice Film Festival. Um, it, it, the, the whole flag controversy is such a silly thing, especially after people see it, because the American flag is such a prominent 
thing that you see on screen. You just don't see him put the flag on the moon. That's like the one thing that isn't shown, but yet you see everything else. So it's a, it's a little weird thing. But other than that, the, the film is going to be a technical marvel, right? If you look at past films like Gravity, Life of Pi, uh, you know, films that have run the gauntlet in technical categories, this is going to check off a lot of boxes. It's all of Damien Chazelle's normal technical team, uh, all of which have won Academy Awards before, like his sound team, film editors. Uh, he's working with Linus Sandgren, who is a great cinematographer, won the cinematography Oscar for La La Land. Uh, this is going to be a force. And on top of that, uh, performances are said to be very good, in particular Claire Foy, who has right now a pretty open shot. In the Queen and the Crown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, yeah, the Queen and the Crown, who is about to maybe win an Emmy this Sunday, you know, and she'll have a lot of goodwill going into uh, the race. Anything else we should know about? Maybe some under-the-radar films that now have become oh, yeah. the talk of the town. Yeah, so some some things I caught at, uh, at the festival that I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, Boy Erased from Joel Edgerton, another actor turned writer director. Um, he, he, the movie stars Lucas Hedges, Nicole Kidman, and Russell Crowe. About a, it's a true story about a teenage boy who is enrolled into gay con, uh, gay conversion therapy program. I saw Widows, the new Steve McQueen movie. Everyone oh, is this Steve the one McQueen with Michelle is. Rodriguez? Yeah, it's Michelle Rodriguez, Viola Davis, uh, and Elizabeth Debicki. Uh, all star cast, by the way, Daniel Kaluuya, Colin Farrell, Liam Neeson, like everyone and their mothers, and there's Robert Duvall, uh, Steve McQueen, who won the Oscar, uh, who directed the Oscar winning, uh, 12 Years a Slave. Uh, movie is been labeled unfairly, I'd say, as popcorn. Like it's just something that you can just watch or whatever. It's not going to do anything, but there's heft to it. Um, and I think it's going to be a big moneymaker and may surprise a lot of people, uh, during the season. So I had heard that the problem with that movie, um, and again, I don't want to say it's necessarily a controversy, but it's a new story that I believe hit IndieWire. And what they were saying, that they they had asked Steve McQueen about difficultness. And he had, oh yeah. And he mentioned and singled out Michelle Rodriguez. Mm -hmm. Supposedly Michelle Rodriguez has a bad rap in the in Hollywood that's why she's yeah. you don't see her in many movies for being difficult and he's like yeah. interesting because that's what they've been saying about me for a very long time you know a black man yeah. you know who asks too many questions is being difficult but when a white man does it he's just being passionate and mm-hmm. um he then singled out Michelle and said look I I really feel that I needed to know what Michelle Rodriguez brought to the table she had said no to Steve McQueen before and the reason yeah. she said no to that role was because she didn't want to be subjugated to uh, the oppression of, of men in any role. So interesting insight about this particular film because it explains a lot of why Michelle Rodriguez isn't doing Tomb Raider films and why she's yeah. not the first Latina blockbuster action star that we could have had. Yeah, and, and listen, and she's actually very good in the film. I think... Um, I think her film's her role is a little underwritten. Uh, I don't think that's no fault of her own. But Michelle Rodriguez, I discovered her and remember her in Girl Fight uh, 17, 18 years ago. And I remember like falling in love and being like, this is the next big thing that I need in my life. So she, she, I've, I've been championing her for a while and she's very good. The whole film is, is very good. Um, on top of that, I also saw Beautiful Boy, which is a uh, new Chalamet. film. Timothy Chalamet and Steve Carell. Uh, movie, uh, Timothy Chalamet is very good 
in it, the movie doesn't quite capture everything that you want it to. It's about a, uh, it's based on two books, two memoirs by a father and son about the son's addiction. Um, and it's a little all over the place, all over the place, a little unfocused at times. Chalamet, who got an Oscar nomination for Call Me By Your Name last year, is very good and probably will get another Oscar nomination again this year. But one of the coolest things I did at TIFF, and it's not all about awards, which is why TIFF is such a great festival, I attended the world premiere of Halloween. <laughs> okay. And got to and got to see Jamie Lee Curtis. Like No. Okay. Yeah. It, it, was, it was like I died, went to heaven, take me away. <laughs> um, so I heard that the official the official Halloween, this official Halloween is actually Halloween three, the official Halloween three. No. It is officially Halloween two. Wait, really? It, yes, it retcons everything after Halloween 1, so the hospital Halloween 2 never happened. Wow. Okay, because yeah. I had heard that they scrapped part 3, and this follows the, 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 the perfect lineage between 1, 2, and 3, 40 years later. So they're literally no. dismissing and ignoring every other Halloween that even Rob Zombie did, all of those. All that, all that does not exist in this in this in this Halloween universe. But listen, this is one of the great things about festivals. You go, you see it with like, uh, you know, the, it was a midnight madness. It was at midnight. Uh, there were just like hardcore Halloween fans screaming and cheering uh, when the credits were rolling, and they were just saying names like Mustafa Akkad and John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis. They were cheering. Um, it was it was tons of fun. It'll make tons of money. Uh, Danny McBride was there, who co-wrote it with David Gordon Green, who was also there. I mean, it, it was just it was just a, a great time. Out of the, all the Halloween movies that they've put out that haven't worked, why is this one so buzzy? Um, I think. I, when it comes to horror, we're so compelled by Michael Myers because he's trying to kill his sister relentlessly for no reason. Like we have no idea why he wants to kill her. And it's a mystery that's plagued it for like 40 years and it keeps us coming back. And he's also a gruesome serial killer, right? Very much. Yeah. But for Michael Myers, it's, it's it's a little deeper than that because there is this, it's almost like this, um, sick love story between him and his sister and and for 40 years we've been watching him chase her even though like and and listen we've seen her die on screen right Mm -hmm. because they're because they're retconning everything after halloween one she's alive again but you know halloween uh h2o and halloween resurrection you know those are all about like him finally getting to her and seeing what, and you know, fulfilling his his quest and his destiny. So, is it fun? Is it fun? Oh, it's su- oh, it's super fun! It's super fun, super. Gr- I mean, he is on a rampage in this one. <laughs> listen, on a rampage. Listen, anyone who's squeamish, man. Like, listen, I I I will always remember watching Michael Myers stick his thumb through someone's forehead and screaming <laughs> bloody murder. Like, that is what Michael Myers is to me. He terrifies me in that way. A, Here, he is just relentless. Yeah. He is just on it. Yeah, So, yeah, yeah it's, too, it's super fun. Well, Clayton, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, kind of well, giving us a big, quick me, recap 
of what's going on. Anything that you got going on that you want to talk about before uh, we head on out? Um, yeah, I mean, like uh, this whole month is the Black Experience on film on TCM. But my night already uh, aired, which was a night I was hosting, where they're just showing black uh, films of different uh, themes. If you're if you're around, you can watch that. If not, uh, I'll be at Middleburg Film Festival throughout the throughout October. And I'm all around the awards beat, so please just come come say hi. All right, thanks, Clayton Davis. He is the editor and owner of AwardCircuit.com. Thank you so much for being on the show. All right, thanks, Jack. That's it for episode 92 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I want to thank Mike Sargent and Clayton Davis for hopping on and hope you guys enjoyed the conversations as well. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by sharing us on social media and telling all your friends about it. You can reach me on Twitter at JackRicoOfficial and also on Instagram at JackRico. Also, remember to tune in Saturday morning, October 6th on NBC to catch the premiere episode of my brand new show, Consumer 101. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.